Who says you need a plus one for a satisfying date night? Meet Hello Date Night, the book box that contains everything you need for a perfect night of pleasure. Each box comes with an autographed copy of The Bad Girl List, a discreet feminine pleasure toy with a matching travel bag, and a sensual rose candle. Say yes to your perfect date night and head over to mariematthew.com to purchase this limited edition book box today. Hello and welcome to season one of Romance with Heart and Heat, your podcast and YouTube show for contemporary rom-com audiobook serials. My name is Marie Matthew and I'm the author of the stories you're going to hear on this channel. The title of season one is The Bad Girl List and this is a fake dating second chance rom-com set in California wine country. Find out how one life-changing vacation list puts the heart of Dominique Chen on the line when she meets sexy wine grower Trevor Moretti. The content of this channel is intended for audience members that are 18 years and older. There is some explicit content on this channel. There is light swearing and there are some explicit spicy scenes. So I don't want any surprises as people move into the story so you have been warned. Be sure to stick around at the end of each episode for author commentary. And if you have any questions or comments, you can drop them into the comments section in YouTube, or you can also send me an email at romancingmarie at gmail.com. I'll do my best to answer questions and comments in future episodes on the show. Please like and subscribe to my channel on your favorite platform, whatever that happens to be. And please help me spread the word and share the show with your friends. Now, as you're listening along, if you get to the point where the tension's too much and you just can't wait to find out what happens next, you can head over to mariematthew.com and you can purchase the complete season of The Bad Girl List over on my website. It's available in ebook format, audiobook format, and there's also autographed hardbacks and paperbacks. So you will get the entire season for free on YouTube and the podcast. But again, if you just can't wait, head over to mariematthew.com. Thanks so much for listening. And now it's time for some romance with heart and heat. I hope you enjoy. Chapter 7. Wine Away. Dominique, Annika, the bartender, and some random guy named Thomas are deep in a lively conversation, each of them sharing colorful stories of how they escaped from various one-night stands. I hid behind the bedroom curtains and pretended I was already gone, Minnie says. When he went into the bathroom, I made a run for it. Oh, I can top that, Thomas says. I once hid under the roommate's bed while she was getting busy with her vibrator. She was so into it she never noticed me sneak in. I had to wait until both girls left for work before I snuck out. You are full of shit, Minnie declares. Maybe. Thomas waggles his eyebrows. Wouldn't you like to know? I tune them out as I draw. For the first Cosmo, my attention had been on the old farmers playing a lively game of gin on the far side of the bar. There's something about them that drew me in. It's like they're extensions of the vineyards that surround this place. The dried mud on their shoes, their rumpled leather hats, the dirt crusting their cuticles, and the shirts that look like they've been washed a thousand times and never ironed. I feel like I'm being transported somewhere I've never been before, like I've stepped through a time machine, and these guys with their tumblers of whiskey and their battered deck of cards can show me the world through a new kaleidoscope. They're beautiful. That's the only word for it. Or at least, that's what I thought until he walked in. The farmer, over six feet of tan skin with a golden five o'clock shadow, and matching shaggy hair that curls over his ears and around the nape of his neck. He wears scuffed leather cowboy boots, a spectacularly rumpled button-down shirt complete with dirt smudges, and wrangler jeans that flaunt what has to be the nicest ass between here and New York. In short, he's dressed just like the guys playing gin. On the old guys, that ensemble looks endearing. 
on this guy, it looks two steps away from a thunder from down under poster. Maybe Annika's idea for a vacation fling isn't such a bad one. Wait, that's definitely the cosmos talking. I could never get a guy like that. He is way too hot for me. The hot guy it turns out is named Trevor. He came in with Thomas and they look like they could be related, but the two didn't sit together at the bar. After exchanging greetings with the gin-playing farmers, Trevor sat by himself, ordered an entire bottle of wine, and got to work. I say got to work because he tackled his bottle of wine the way I might have tackled a research project back in college, with dedicated gusto. The irony that he ordered a bottle of Moretti Old Vine Zin is not lost on me. It makes me feel like I'm the punchline of a bad joke. If I had to guess, the guy is on a mission to get shit-faced. There's an air around him I can't quite comprehend. Like he's sad or lost. His eyes were red-rimmed when he showed up, which makes me think he was already drunk when he got here. Is he having a bad day? He's drinking even more enthusiastically than I am, and I doubt he has a cousin waving a bad girl list over his head. I spend the next two cosmos with my arm protectively around my sketchbook, so no one can see what I'm doing. I keep my head down, peeking covertly in Trevor's direction. He's hunched over, his face half-obscured by his wine bottle, but I can see enough. He keeps glancing in our direction, but I'm pretty sure he doesn't notice me staring. Annika, Thomas and Minnie are way more entertaining than I am. I'm the sort of person who blends into the background at bars. Or at least, that's what Oliver always said. He didn't mean it as a compliment. As I continue to take dedicated swigs of my Cosmo, I sketch Trevor. If I was sober, I never would have done this. But what the hell, my head is buzzing and I feel miles away from my troubles, and damn he looks so good, how can I resist? I don't like my first drawing. He looks too broody. I can't quite put his expression into words, but the guy definitely isn't broody. There's something else going on behind those eyes. I flip the page and start again. Oh shit, our eyes just met. I pick up the fresh Cosmo that appears as if by magic in front of me, and take a long drink. My stomach feels slightly queasy. When had that happened? I hunch further over my drawing, shifting so that half my body is shielded by Annika and her wildly gesticulating arms. I start on the second drawing of the hot cowboy. Except he's not a cowboy because he doesn't have cows. That's what he'd said to Minnie. He wasn't trying to be funny but his flat, deadpan delivery had cracked me up. Luckily, I don't think he realized I was laughing at him. Or maybe he had. I think maybe he looked at me when I laughed, but it was hard to be certain with the cosmos ruffling my perceptions. What do you call a guy who looks like a cowboy, but isn't? He must work in a vineyard. I have no clue what they call guys who work in vineyards. Grape growers? Pruners? I make a mental note to Google it when I'm sober. I lose myself in the work, pausing only to sneak glances at my subject and to take a swig from my Cosmo. My pencils are in a jumble on the counter next to me. I reach for them unconsciously, mixing yellow and brown until I achieve the perfect shade of his five o'clock shadow. I use the brown to add the dirt smudges on his blue denim shirt collar. I use a light gray to trace the tension he carries around his eyes. My head is happily buzzing, and I realize I haven't felt this relaxed in months. I just might try to talk Annika into coming to Zeke's every night. I exhale in surprise as I finish, surveying the picture. The drawing makes me sit up straight, a rather incredible feat considering my stomach feels like it might eject itself out through my spinal cord. Haunted. That's the word that flashes through my cosmo-drenched brain as I follow the lines of Trevor's face. This guy doesn't look like he's having your average bad day. He looks like he's carrying around a soul-crippling sadness. What could make him feel that way? I dart another look in his direction, but his face is stuffed into his wine glass. I flip to a new page in my sketchbook, my eyes landing on Minnie as she plops four martini glasses onto the countertop in front of her. I've been so absorbed in what I'm doing, I hadn't realized how busy the bar had become. Hey Dom. Annika shoves her elbow into my side. You better take notes on our one-night stands. This is going to be you sometime in the next 10 days. Are you planning to get laid while you're on vacation? 
Minnie asks with an eager lift of her eyebrows, never faltering as she pours a long stream of gin into her shaker. I know just the bar to go to. There's this new place in downtown Healdsburg called Platitude. I stop listening. Thomas is calling to Trevor, inviting him to our end of the bar. A jolt of panic goes through me as I swiftly snap my sketchbook closed. I try to be inconspicuous by ducking down behind my cousin, but I can't stop staring as Trevor comes our way. He has a wine bottle in one hand, and a very very full glass in the other. He's halfway around Annika when our eyes meet. Then Thomas sticks out his leg and Trevor trips. He loses his grip on his bottle and glass. Everything happens so fast. One second I'm stealing peeks at the gorgeous guy in the rumpled shirt. The next second his glass of wine rockets out of his hand, splashes all across my t-shirt and pants, then shatters against the wooden floor. The bottle hits me in the waist and spills all over my pants. I yelp in surprise, knocking my sketchbook to the floor. A round of applause goes up from a few nearby tables. I stare down at my soaking clothes, too drunk and too stunned to do anything. The gorgeous guy looks at me in horror, and I can tell by his bloodshot eyes that he's as drunk as I am. Oh shit. He reaches for a stack of bar napkins. I'm such an ass. I'm sorry. What the hell Trevor, Thomas says loudly. You just spilled expensive wine all over this poor girl's clothes. Bar napkins aren't going to cut it. Take her out to the car and use the wine away in the glove compartment. There are extra towels in the trunk. Is it my imagination, or did Thomas just wink at Trevor? It must have been my imagination. Wine-sodden clothes are nothing to wink about. Yeah, good idea. Trevor drops the napkins. I'm such a clumsy ass. I'm sorry. You, uh, want to try wine away? I have no idea what that is, but Annika gives me a not-so-subtle thumbs up. The guy tugs on my hand. I slide from my barstool, flustered from the combination of his good looks, the accumulated effects of the cosmos, and my sketchbook, which lies open on the floor with my drawing of Trevor for all to see. Trevor pauses mid-step. I sense the moment when his eyes land on the drawing. I let out a squeak of horror and step on top of the page, inwardly wincing at the mark my sneaker is going to leave. My pencils. I swipe up the sketchbook and stuff it into my cargo pants. Oh shit, sorry about that. Trevor steps around to help me as I turn to gather up the pencils. Our fingers brush as he drops a handful into my pencil bag. Even his hands are attractive. Tanned, with long strong fingers, remnants of dirt still under his nails. I'd draw them if that wouldn't be totally weird. I'm so sorry, he says, as he watches me slip the pencil bag into a cargo pocket. I didn't mean to be such a clumsy ass. I'm a little drunk. Are you sure it's just a little, I ask. I saw you pounding wine on the other side of the bar like you thought someone else might get to it first. As soon as the words are out of my mouth, I regret them. Why did I say that? Alcohol always loosens my tongue but not in a good way. Now he knows I was watching him. Trevor's eyes crinkle in a mixture of embarrassment and amusement. Caught me. Should we see about getting that stain out of your clothes? I'm pretty sure there is no saving these clothes, but seeing that I'm now officially a starving artist, I'll have to live with them. Besides, this is my chance to talk to Trevor, someone I'd never have the guts to talk to otherwise. We weave through the people who have accumulated in the bar. I notice Trevor and I both walking with slow, careful steps, like the wrong misplaced foot might land us on our asses. It's definitely the case for me. My stomach has stopped trying to sever my spinal cord, and now seems to be doing somersaults. If I wasn't on a mission to drink until I puked, I'd be looking for a bottle of water right now. Watch your step. Trevor pauses at the top of the wooden stairs that lead down to the parking lot, his hand gently grasping my elbow. Are you in any shape to hold me up? I ask. Only because I plan to keep my other hand on the railing, he replies. Otherwise, I'd be in danger of tipping us both over. I mean, I already fell on you once. If it happens again, you can't say I didn't warn you. I laugh. His eyes crinkle, and the two of us make our careful way down the steps. When we make it to the bottom, he exhales. I think I deserve a medal for that. Two gold stars, I reply. One for getting yourself down the stairs, and another one for getting me down the stairs. 
Do I get two more if I get you to the car unharmed? He asks. The drunken sexy smile he gives me makes my knees weak. It's such an unexpected change of expression, very much at odds with the haunted look I'd seen him wear in the bar. It catches me off guard. I think you get gold stars just for standing here and looking hot. Heat rushes to my face as I realize what I just said. Trevor's sexy smile morphs into a sexy grin. I begin to weigh the pros and cons of asking him to be my vacation fling. Come on. He takes my hand. My brother always parks far away so no one will accidentally dent the car. Still holding my hand, he takes me to a car at the far end of the parking lot. It's so far from the vision I've cultivated of Trevor that I stop in surprise. This is your car? My eyes sweep over the silver Tesla. I can't reconcile the sexy, slightly dirty cowboy grape picker driving something like this. What do you call a grape cowboy? He gives me a slow blink, reminding me just how drunk both of us are. Did I really just call him a grape cowboy? This is my brother's car, Trevor says. He likes flashy stuff. What was your second question? You're a grape guy, right? I gesture to his clothes. I mean, you look like a cowboy, but you said you don't have any cows, so I figure you must be a grape guy, but I don't know what they call guys who grow grapes. You're a grape guy, right? I'm babbling now, but my drunken mind can't seem to get in front of my drunken mouth. The official term for a grape grower is vigneron, but no one around here uses that word. We just call ourselves farmers. You call yourself a farmer? I stare up at his tall form with the perfectly rumpled dirt smudge shirt. I know the media makes wine out to be sexy, but at the end of the day, it's all about plants that grow in the dirt and working with the cycles of nature. You know, like with the moon and the gravitational forces that are always at work on the earth. I have no idea what he's talking about, but I like the look he gets in his eyes when he's talking about his work. Like he really likes what he does. Someday, I want to look like that when I talk about my job. You use gravity in farming, I ask, just to keep him talking. That's part of it, yeah? I'm a biodynamic farmer. It's not like the farming stuff you see on TV. It's all about giving back to the soil and working with nature, and... I'm Trevor, by the way. He sticks out his hand. I shake it, savoring the feel of his callous skin and strong grip. I'm Dominique. You can call me Dom. Nice to meet you. He tries to duck into the passenger side of the car, smacks his head, curses, then tries a second time. I hear him rummaging around in the glove compartment. You from out of town? Yeah. My cousin and I are here with our moms and aunt for our annual family girls trip. That sounds fun. You guys planning to do Passport? Yeah, it's the reason we picked this weekend. My auntie D found a Groupon. Passport has a Groupon? Trevor pokes his head momentarily around the open hood to look at me in surprise. If there's a Groupon to be found, my auntie D will find it. My family is really into coupons. My gramps would love her. Trevor emerges from the passenger seat, a white spray bottle in one hand. He looks from me to the bottle, then back to me. I should probably do something, like take the bottle from his hands, but my stomach is doing terrible things. The alcohol is doing something highly unpleasant just below my esophagus, while Trevor's eyes seem to set loose a flock of wild birds under my ribcage. I, uh, better get some towels. Come on. Trevor breaks eye contact and goes around to the back of the car, which faces the vineyards that surround the bar. I trail after him as he pops the trunk. Why does your brother have so many towels in his trunk? I blink in surprise when I see not one bundle, but almost a dozen bundles of white dish towels. He's working passport tomorrow. He picked these up earlier and must have forgotten to drop them at the winery. Okay, let's hope this stuff works. He holds up the white bottle and starts to squirt it. Since the majority of the wine ended up on the front of my shirt, it means he's aiming directly at my breasts. He seems to realize this at the same time I do. We look at each other. The moment stretches a little too long. We seem on the brink of awkward laughter, but neither of us quite manages it. Maybe you should try it. He shoves the bottle into my hands. I dutifully get to work spritzing while he snaps the plastic tie that bundles the towels together. I douse the front of my white tee, then move on to my pants, which got soaked from the contents of the wine bottle. It smells like orange, I say. Wine away is made with orange oil. 
It's really called Wine Away? Yeah, it's pretty much a must-have around here. Living around wineries without Wine Away would be like having a diaper bag without diapers. Here, let me see if I can get that out. He gets to his knees in the dirt and tackles the red wine stain on my leg. One hand wraps around the back of my thigh as his other hand scrubs furiously across the damp fabric of my pants with the towel. My skin sizzles in the heat of his grip. His mouth sets in a line of determination as he increases the pressure. He looks like he's absorbed in a very complex puzzle instead of a ruined pair of pants. There's no way in hell he's ever going to get that stain out, but since I'll probably never buy a ticket to a Thunder from Down Under show, I keep my mouth shut and let myself enjoy the view. The towel and his hand are suddenly right by my crotch. He's scrubbing so hard that he doesn't notice at first. When the towel catches on my zipper, he jumps back as if he's been burned. Shit, I'm sorry. He sits back on his heels. I'm not trying to feel you up, I promise. I'm just, I'm just really wasted right now. I'm not a sleazeball, I swear. I don't think you're a sleazeball. My stomach chooses that moment to break dance. Oh God. I hunch over, willing the wave of nausea to pass. Do you need some water? Trevor gets to his feet. You took down quite a few of those cosmos. So he had been watching me. A warm heat shoots through me at the idea that he may have been watching me as much as I'd been watching him. Alcohol always makes me ridiculously honest. I can't drink any water. I have to drink until I puke. He blinks. You have to drink until you puke? Yeah. Did I mention that alcohol also leaves me with no respect for my own privacy? My boyfriend dumped me two months ago and moved out. My cousin says it's a good thing because I wasted five years of my life on a guy who never put me first, but it still sucks that he cheated on me with his tennis partner, you know? I live in Frisco and have to cover rent by myself. Things were tight but I was making it until two days ago. Then I decided to be a rebel, and I'm never a rebel, you know? Like, the number of bad and irresponsible things I've done in my life could be counted on one hand, but I decided to rebel against my boss, and she fired me for it. It takes almost my entire month's paycheck to cover my rent. My cousin said I can move in with her for a few months until I get back on my feet, but I have to complete everything she put on this weird checklist while we're on vacation. That's a lot to unpack. He squints like he's looking at a complicated math equation, even though he's just looking at a girl in wine-stained clothing with a penchant for run-on sentences when she's drunk. So drinking until you puke is one of the things on the list, he asks. Did you just say you have a vacation checklist? Yes to both things, I say. Was drawing bar patrons in your notebook also part of your list? I opt not to answer his embarrassing question and instead choose to deflect. It's not a notebook. What? I don't draw in a notebook. Notebooks have lines. I draw in a sketchbook. If I was sober, I would probably argue that point with you, but I'm so drunk that I soaked both your boobs and wine away before I realized what I was doing, he says. You know your clothes are wrecked, right? I know. I don't mention they're my favorite pair of pants. He starts unbuttoning his shirt. A herd of horses begins thundering through my bloodstream. What are you doing? I lick my lips, thinking again of number 10 on the bad girl list. Could I talk Trevor into that? Do I want to? Take my shirt. He holds it out to me. Holy crap. I blink several times as I take in his perfect chest. His skin is smooth and taut, his abs firm and defined. Not in the I do crossfit and take supplements kind of way, but in the I work the land kind of way. Pale hair dusts his lower abs and disappears into his pants. More soft curls of hair cover his chest. If I was into porn, I think you'd be my version of it. What? I jump as I realize I just said that out loud. My body tingles with nervous energy. Nothing. I snatch his shirt and spin around, glance over the car to make sure no one is around, then stuff his button down between my thighs and whip off my cotton tee. I hadn't intended to take his clothes, but I'm committed now. My bra is soaked through, reeking from the combination of wine and wine away. I take that off too. As I wad up my clothes and balance them on the Tesla's fender, I catch Trevor staring at my bare back. 
Our eyes meet. Heat unfurls in my core. If I was into porn, I think you'd be my version of it too, he says deadpan. Oh god, I can't tell if he's serious or teasing me. I want to crawl under the car and disappear. I didn't mean to say that out loud, he says. I'm really drunk. If he can use that as an excuse, so can I. Besides, it's legit in both our cases. I slide my arms into his shirt. It smells like earth and sweat mixed with a spicy deodorant. I resist the urge to bury my nose in the fabric and inhale the scent of Trevor. I can do that later when he's not standing behind me. Are you really trying to pretend you don't like porn? I ask. I thought all guys like that sort of thing. I'm going to take the fifth on that one, he says. I've gotten myself into enough trouble tonight. Do you want me to take those to the dry cleaners for you? He points to my shirt and bra. It's okay. I turn around and face him. His denim shirt hangs down to my knees. He drags his eyes up and down my body. It's a slow, drunken assessment that intensifies the pressure building between my legs. Even though we've just met, I get the feeling he likes the way his shirt hangs on me. Feeling unexpectedly bold, I reach under the shirt and unbutton my pants. What are you doing? He asks. This thing is like a dress on me. The pants drop down around my ankles. Since my outfit is ruined, I might as well make the best of your shirt. I kick my feet free of the sodden pants, grab my belt, and cinch it around my waist. The effect almost makes his giant shirt look like a denim dress. Almost. My ankle socks and tennis shoes round out the look. Holding up my arms, I turn in a circle for him. What do you think? I ask. Blind country chic or walk of shame? He bursts out laughing. The sound is unexpected. It washes over me like warm honey but there's an edge to it, like he's not used to laughing. Definitely walk of shame, huh? I smile to show him I'm not mad, then roll up the sleeves of his shirt so my hands peek out. Kind of yeah, he says. Since I'm already dressed for the part, how about you be my vacation fling? The words are on the tip of my tongue, but for all that the cosmos have loosened my vocal cords, I can't get those particular words out. I settle for sitting on the edge of the trunk and fishing around in my pants for my pencils and sketchbook. Now that I've finally reconnected with my inner artist after such a long dry spell, I don't want them out of reach. He surprises me by sitting down next to me. Are you planning to go back inside and drink more Cosmos? Yeah, I'm on a mission, remember? Six months of free rent is on the line. I finally managed to excavate my drawing materials from my pants. I balance them on my lap while I try to figure out if either thing will fit in the pocket of Trevor's ginormous shirt. Are you going to draw more pictures? He asks. Probably, I say. I like to draw. Can I see? I squirm. You already saw. I saw a glimpse of a face before you put your foot over it. It was your face, okay? Is that what you want to know? Once again, the alcohol makes me more honest than is arguably intelligent. Your good subject matter. His forehead crumples in amusement. See right there. I point to his face. That expression. What about it? I dig into my pencil bag. Since we're no longer pretending he doesn't know about my drawing, I may as well take advantage of this moment. Stay right there. I twist so that I'm facing him and take out my charcoal pencil. Hold that face. His amusement deepens, but he obliges me by holding the expression. Is this what the naked guy felt like when he posed for the statue of David? My face is starting to cramp. Stop talking. My eyes flicker back and forth between his face and my pad. I keep the sketch relatively simple, yet somehow manage to capture his expression and the light cast on his face from the open trunk. What do you think? I hold it up for him to see. He slides over so that our hips touch. Another pleasant zing goes through me. I'm starting to feel like a horny teenager. Can I see your other drawings? He asks. I'm pretty sure no woman can look into those dark eyes and say no. I'm certainly not in any shape to be the first. Wordlessly, I pass him the sketchbook. He flips through the pages and studies the three I made of him, lingering the longest on the one that captured his haunted look back in the bar. He stares at it for so long that I start to fidget. I should have asked you first, I blurt, unable to take the silence any longer. 
It's just that I've been working my ass off at this soul-sucking company, and until I decided to be a rebel and get myself fired yesterday, I had completely lost touch with my art. I've barely drawn anything in two years. You're really good. He turns the picture so the full light of the trunk spills over it. His compliment warms a deep part of me. It's been so long since I've drawn for the pure joy of being creative. How had I let this part of me lapse? I'd sacrificed so much for Presidio, and what had it gotten me? You can have it. Impulsively, I take back the book and rip out the page. As I hand it to him, our eyes meet. He might be drunk, but his gaze is electric. I feel like I'm trapped in a tracking beacon as his forehead crumples and uncrumples with thoughts I can't decipher. Who says you need a plus one for a satisfying date night? Join Dot Wines and author Marie Matthew for your perfect Valentine's night in. For a limited time, get a bottle of Dot's rosé wine paired with a Hello Date Night book box. This Valentine's Day special comes with an autographed paperback copy of The Bad Girl List, a discreet feminine pleasure toy with a matching travel bag, a sensual rose candle, and a flirty bottle of Dot rosé wine. If you only want the wine with the book, we have that option available as well. Say yes to your perfect date night and head over to dotwinery.com to purchase this limited edition pairing today. Chapter 8 The Trunk Trevor The page from the sketchbook rustles between my fingers as Dominique hands it to me. I can't stop staring at it. There's a boulder in my gut, and it has nothing to do with the amount of wine I've consumed. Is this really how I look? Is that miserable haggard face really what my family sees every time they look at me? No wonder they're on my ass about moving on, about finding the elusive happiness they're so sure my dead fiancé wants me to have. Looking at that drawing makes me look at the past two years in an entirely new light. Dom is staring at me like a deer in headlights, like she's trying to figure out if she's offended me. There's a sweetness in her dark eyes that draws me in. When I'd first seen her profile in the bar, she had reminded me of Elle. It's what had initially grabbed my attention, but she doesn't look like Elle at all. Dom is Chinese like Elle was, but that's where the similarity ends. The shape of her face is different. Her nose is different. Everything about her is different. She looks so damn sexy in my shirt. Not in a we should go back into the bar way. It's a I'd love to see her walking around my house like that way. This is the first time I've felt attracted to a woman since the accident, and it's not because she's beautiful. There are beautiful women all over the place. Dom is different. I feel seen in a way I don't entirely understand. She doesn't know me, but she couldn't have drawn that picture of me if some part of her didn't get me. Look, I drew other people, not just you. Her voice is nervous when she talks, making me realize I've been staring at her in silence this entire time. She flips a page in her sketchbook and points. It's a picture of Gramps and his buddies playing gin at their favorite table, as they sip their tumblers of whiskey. That's my Gramps. I point to the page. That's your grandpa? Yeah. He and his friends love to play cards here. How did I miss that? Her eyes shift from me to the drawing. You're the younger version of him. You guys even wear the same hat. Does that mean you want to see him in your porn mag? I mean it as a joke, but the words leave me feeling uneasy. I haven't cracked a joke in months, except for tonight with Dom. It's like trying to stretch a muscle you haven't used. I relax when she giggles. I prefer guys in my porn mags to be a little less wrinkled. No offense to wrinkles. I'm sure his wrinkles would understand. I realize my hand lightly rests atop hers as we look down at her picture. I like the feel of her, so I leave it there. Was this on your list? It takes her a second to track the meaning of my question. From the way she jerks her eyes away from our hands, I know where her mind was. She doesn't move her hand away either. You asked me that already. No. Drawing random strangers in a bar isn't on my bad girl list. The bad girl list? I ask. Crap did I just say that out loud? She winces. I get the feeling she suppresses a lot of her words when she isn't trying to drink herself sick. 
You can't spill something like that and not share details, I say. She squirms, pulling away to press her notebook against her chest. I'm reminded that she's braless under there. There's a slight breeze out here tonight, just enough so the hard pebbles of her nipples show through my shirt. My cousin is trying to push me out of my comfort zone on vacation. She came up with this list of things I'd never do. Like drinking until you get sick, I ask. Exactly. Why did you draw a picture of me? What? If it wasn't on your list, why did you draw a picture of me? I already know she thinks I'm good-looking, but I don't think that's why she drew me. There were other good-looking guys in the bar, I'm sure. She could have drawn my brother, for example. She swallows. I don't know. I decide to wait her out. In the short time I've known her, I've already deduced she doesn't like silence. It's just… She chews her bottom lip, fingers tightening around her sketchbook. I continue to wait. I like to draw stories, she says at last, her eyes unfocused as she looks out at the vineyard shifting in the darkness beyond us. Like your grandpa and his friends. I bet he's been friends with those guys for 50 years. I bet they sit and play at that same table all the time, and when they're on their deathbeds, I think that table and those cards and the whiskey are going to be some of their best memories. She shakes herself, face snapping back to look at me. At least that's what I saw when I looked at them. I tried to draw that. Her eyes search my face. There's a story to you too. I saw it when you walked in. I don't know what it is, but I wanted to draw it anyway. I touch her cheek, running my fingers along her smooth skin until I cup one side of her face. When I left the bungalow with Thomas, I hadn't expected to feel a magnetic pull to a girl I barely know on the anniversary of the accident. I hadn't expected to meet someone who sent all my painful memories into the background. What would she say if I asked her to Sunday dinner? Would she think it was weird considering the circumstances? If she says yes, would she wake up tomorrow and regret the decision? Without warning she leans forward and kisses me. Her lips are warm and soft and taste like vodka and cranberry juice. A jolt goes through me. Before I realize what I'm doing, I pull her closer to deepen the kiss. Her hands run up the bare skin of my back and raise goose flesh across my spine. Then she's on my lap, her chest pressing against mine in my dirty work shirt. I run one hand up her bare thigh, recalling she has nothing underneath but a pair of panties. I skim my fingers under the shirt stopping just below her ass and give her thigh a firm squeeze. A soft sigh escapes between her lips and she arches against me. I feel myself getting hard. The air between us shifts. The softness dissolves into something desperate, bordering on feral. Her hands come around and trace the ridges of my stomach, lingering around the waistline of my jeans. I trace my fingers down her neck, past her collarbone to her breast. It's small and firm and perfect, the nipple rolling under my palm. She shifts again, arching herself into my hand. The throbbing in my pants leaves me breathing hard. Trevor. Her breath hitches as she skims her mouth along my neck. Her fingers continue to dance along the waistline of my jeans. Yeah? I tilt her back just far enough to bite down on her nipple through the denim shirt. There's this thing on my list. Number 10. When she breaks off in a soft moan I bite down harder. My other hand slides past the hemline of her underwear to grip her perfectly smooth ass. Number 10. I bring my mouth back up to her neck to suck. On your bad girl list? Yeah. I growl in her ear when her hand slips down to cup my erection through my jeans. A vacation fling, she says. I'm supposed to have one. You know so I can have a place to live for free when I get back home. I didn't think it was possible for her to make me any harder, but clearly I was wrong. I force myself to pause, to pull back and look her in the eye to make sure I'm not misconstruing anything she just said. Are you asking me to have sex with you? Only if you want to. Her eyes are dilated, one hand still rubbing me through my jeans. My brain is fogging over. I want her so badly it's all I can do not to tear open the front of her shirt and fuck her on the mountain of bar towels in the back of my brother's car. But I have a rule. I never sleep with a drunk girl unless she's my girlfriend. There are too many potential fallouts, but I'm drunk too, which at the end of some very complex math equation seems to equal a level playing field. I can't be accused of taking advantage of someone if I'm three sheets to the wind too, right? I have a problem too, I say, tracing my hand around her panties display across her stomach. What kind of problem? 
Her hand tightens on my cock, making me groan. My mom fuck that feels good. I try to catch my breath. My mom keeps trying to set me up on blind dates. I need a date for my family dinner on Sunday so she'll lay off me. Are you proposing a trade? Her hand stops rubbing me as she pulls back to look at me. Forget about it. I dip my hand down the front of her underwear, hoping I can persuade her to keep going with her hand. It was a stupid question. No it wasn't stupid, I just can't tell if you're serious. She breaks off with a gasp as I slide a finger through her warm folds and pluck at her clit. I'm serious, if you're serious. I rub her a little harder, loving the way her breath quickens as she squirms against me. You'll have sex with me if I agree to be your date on Sunday? Aha. Uh -huh. I lean forward and nip gently at her neck. Yeah okay. Her hand starts to rub me again, making me wish we were already naked. I force myself to slow down and look at her. Dom seems like a nice person. I don't want her to wake up with regrets in the morning. You're drunk I say. Are you sure this is the kind of decision you want to make when you're drunk? I don't think I could make a decision like this when I'm sober. She shifts so that she's completely in my lap, her legs wrapped around me. I have to make sure. Tell me you want this. I need to hear you say it. Tell me you want me. Are you deaf or something? She tackles my fly with both hands. What does a girl have to do to? Her words trail off into a pleased moan, as she yanks open my fly and plunges her hand down the front of my boxers. The little sanity I have left is shredded. I grab the front of her shirt and yank. Buttons pop off. I grab Dom by the hips and spin us both around, pressing her back into the pile of bar towels. Her breasts spill out creamy in the darkness. All my attention homes in on them as she pushes my jeans and boxers past my hips. Good thing Thomas always parks his precious car way in the back in an effort to keep it pristine. Otherwise, I'm sure we would have been spotted by now. Although based on the raging inferno in my cock right now, I'm not sure a crowd of paparazzi would have stopped me from taking Dom. I go for her breasts, intent on pulling one of those perfect nipples into my mouth and sucking hard enough to make her moan. Right as I do, I smash my head into the lid of the trunk. I hit it so hard that I see stars. I slip, one hand landing on Dom's stomach. A sharp woof comes out of her and then she says, Oh god, I think I'm going to be sick. She rolls sideways and half stumbles, half lurches out of the trunk while I clutch my forehead. Her eyes are wide as she pauses to glance back at me. Are you okay? She says, right as I say, I'm such a clumsy shit, are you okay? Oh god. She bends double and scurries out into a dark row between the grapevines. A second later, I hear the unmistakable sound of someone puking up numerous cosmopolitans. Dom, still rubbing at my throbbing head, I hurry after her, barely remembering to get my dick back into my pants. I find her holding onto a vine, bent over as she heaves. Dom are you? She heaves again, more vomit splashing onto the ground. I hurry back to the car, reaching into the back seat and rummaging around until I find what I'm looking for. One of Thomas's half-finished water bottles. I hustle back to Dom, cursing myself for being such a dumb shit. What sort of idiot gives himself a concussion and makes his date vomit at the same time? They must have dumb shit awards for this type of thing. I find Dominique on her knees in the dirt, palms pressed against her thighs. Hey. I kneel beside her and set down the water bottle, reaching around to pull the shirt closed. You okay? Oh my god. Her horrified eyes skip over my face before looking away. She grabs the shirt from my hands and cinches it tightly around her. I'm so embarrassed. Well at least you crossed the vomit thing off your list. That's an upside right? She barks a laugh, dragging the back of her hand across her nose. Yes but I wasn't envisioning this. Her gesture takes in the two of us and the pile of vomit in front of her. You're bruising. She touches my forehead. It's nothing. I should have been paying better attention. I take her hand and squeeze it. As if I could have been paying attention to anything beyond her perfect breasts and her hand in my pants. Dominique. Dom where are you? Annika's voice cuts through the night. The two of us jump apart like teenagers caught doing something they shouldn't. Dom calls, over here. She takes the hand I offer. I pull her to her feet. She hastily cinches the belt around her waist, tucking the shirt in such a way there's no chance of it coming open. Do you think she'll notice the buttons are gone? She whispers. Um? My eyes dart over her. It's pretty dark. I don't think so. 
There you are. Thomas appears at the end of the vineyard row, holding up the flashlight in his phone. What have you two crazy kids been doing out here? His question dies as he takes in our appearance. I'm shirtless, Dom is in my clothes, and I'm pretty sure our tousled hair might betray what we'd been about to do before I hit my head and made her vomit. Thomas clears his throat. Even though his face is obscured behind the beam projecting outward from his phone, I can feel his smug smirk. I take it the wine away didn't do shit for the clothes, Thomas says. That stuff was made for spots, not half a bottle of wine, I reply. Dom and I pick our way down the row back to the car. I thought maybe you guys ran away together. Annika appears next to Thomas. She takes one look at Dom and lets out a squeal. Number one. Did you do it? Did you just puke your guts out? I did it, Dom confirms. Annika rushes past Thomas and fist bumps her cousin. Nice move cuz. I knew you had it in you. I'm already regretting it. Dominique presses a hand against her stomach and hunches. Is it my imagination, but did she look at me when she said that? Come on I'll get you home and pump you up with Tylenol. You're going to be fine. I got us the premier wine country Uber. You don't need an Uber, I say. We can. Thomas elbows me in the ribs as I step past him into the parking lot. That's when I spot Gramps. He's leaning up against the side of his battered pickup, clearly waiting for us. Like I said, Premier Wine Country Uber. Annika hauls Dominique toward Gramps, giving her a hand to help her climb into the back of the truck. You too, bro, Thomas says. Neither of us is in any shape to drive. He lowers his voice and adds, Were you guys doing what I think you were doing? I ignore him and climb up into the truck with the girls. Dom sits hunched over, not looking at anyone. I may have consumed multiple bottles of wine tonight, but the last few minutes have left me completely sober. There's a reason I made the no sleeping with a drunk girl rule. It's to avoid the situation I now find myself in. Dom won't even look at me. She's clearly embarrassed by what happened between us. I may have just met her, but I got a good enough gauge on her to know random fucks with strangers in car trunks isn't her MO. She isn't the only one with regrets. How could I have done this on the anniversary of Elle's death? What the hell is wrong with me? I never should have agreed to come out tonight. Gramps drives us back into town, the cool evening air rushing over us as we sit in silence. By the looks Annika and Thomas keep exchanging, I'm pretty sure they guessed what Dom and I were really doing by the car. A hollow ache fills me. When Gramps pulls to a stop in front of an unassuming house in a quiet Healdsburg cul-de-sac, I glance quickly in Dom's direction. If the look of misery on her face is anything to go by, I haven't made her first night of vacation all that great. I have screwed things up in so many ways. Neither of us speaks to one another as she climbs out of the truck. Thanks for the ride. Annika gives us a wave from the sidewalk. She points at Thomas and adds, I'll give you a call when I get something set up with Minnie. She winks at him and Thomas grins, as he really roped a complete stranger into helping him get into that bartender's pants. Gramps pulls away, his old truck rumbling loudly in the night. I stare at the blue smudge of Dominique wrapped in my shirt as she leans on her cousin and walks up the path to their VRBO rental. What the hell dude? Thomas shoots me a puzzled look. I gave you the perfect setup. Why did you give her the cold shoulder all the way home? I look at him sharply. What do you mean? I saw you guys staring at each other across the bar. You tried to hide behind your wine bottle. She tried to hide behind her sketchbook. You guys are both really bad at being sneaky. Annika and I both noticed. I replay the scene when I spilled the wine all over Dom. Did you trip me on purpose? Of course I tripped you on purpose. I knew neither one of you was going to break the ice, so I helped you out. His eyes twinkle as he leans forward. Did you get a date for Sunday dinner? I don't know, I say. No, I don't think so. You're not making any sense. Did you at least screw her in the back of my car? No, I snap. I did not screw her in the back of your car. He doesn't need to know that I wanted to. He doesn't need to know that I proposed trading sex for a dinner date, either. Dom must think I am the biggest sleazebag. What would Elle think of my going after another girl on the anniversary of her death? Only a complete douchebag does something like that. Jeez. Thomas holds up his hands defensively. You never were a fun drunk. We don't talk as Gramps exits Healdsburg and drives back onto the two-lane road that snakes through the vineyards back to our winery. 
The cold air blowing through my hair and across my face sobers me up even more. So what if Dom is the first girl who's made me feel a spark since losing L? That had been the wine talking. The wine my parents and the silly bad girl list. All three had gotten the better of my reason. I still love L. I won't ever be into anyone else. Ever. I focus on memories of L as I stare out at the swaying leaves of the grapevines, doing my best to put Dominique Chen out of my mind. Hello everyone and welcome to the author commentary portion of episode two on the podcast. I am the author of The Bad Girl List, Marie Matthew, and as always, I like to say cheers to you and thank you so much for being here. Today I am drinking a marvelous, marvelous Zinfandel, which I'm going to talk about more later because it's actually really important with the story. But before we do that, I wanted to jump right into the episode that we heard today with Dom and Trevor. So they had their very first contact in the first episode. And then in the second episode, we get to see them start interacting for the first time. And I love this scene. Um, I, <laughs> I laughed so hard when I was writing it. I, ho I hope you laughed as much as I did. <laughs> I think you can tell that I enjoy what I do. This particular scene, I employed a literary device that I like to call the sexy fail. Uh, and I'll be perfectly clear, you're not gonna find the term sexy fail in any um, technical manual on writing. <laughs> it's a term that I've made up, but it's something that is super common in romantic comedies. And in fact, I see it in a lot of different genres, but the sexy fail is the term or the, the phrase that I have coined for those scenes when characters try to have sex and then something really funny happens to derail their efforts. So you see it a lot in romantic comedies and mentally yesterday I was going through my, my library of like movies that I've seen where there have been sexy fails. And of course the first one that I think of is American Pie. <laughs> <laughs> when the character tries to have sex with the apple pie and, and, and his dad walks in and <laughs> that is definitely a sexy fail because obviously he doesn't uh, make it to the end. And then the other movie that I thought of, and I, I hope a lot of you have seen this, it's an older movie, it's called Crazy Sexy Love. Now we're going to move on to the next portion of the podcast, which as I promised, it's bringing us back to the wine, this amazing Zinfandel that I'm drinking. Mmm. It's one of my favorites. Um, mmm. It's so good. It's so well-balanced, like ridiculously well-balanced. It's super smooth on the palate and you get lots of like really nice dark fruit, dark berries, dark cherries, and it's just, it's delicious. This would be super good with like hard cheeses or even like some type of a red meat. Anyway, it's, it's so good. It's super significant <laughs> to the story. And the reason the wine is significant is you may have picked up while you were listening or reading along that the winery of the Moretti family is in a place called Dry Creek Valley. So we're just gonna do like a really quick wine 101 for people that don't know too much about wine or wine labels, but there's a lot of government requirements for wine labels, a lot of different things that have to be on the label. But the two most important things for our conversation today are two things, the appellation and the varietal. And I've got a lovely label here. The varietal is actually the type of grape. That's a Zinfandel, as you can see on this label. Other varietals that you'll be super familiar with, I'm sure, Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, Syrah, Shiraz, Merlot, those are all varietals. So if you hear that word coming out, that's what it means. It's just talking about the type of grape. And the other thing that you're gonna see on a wine label is the origin of the grapes, the farming region where the grapes came from. And 
this lovely Zinfandel is from Dry Creek Valley. Dry Creek Valley is where the Moretti Winery is located. Let me see if I can explain Appalachian a little more in case I went a little too fast on that one. Appalachians are government recognized growing regions for grapes. So if you get a bottle of wine and it says California, that tells you that the grapes inside could have come from any area of California. Likewise, if you get a ball of wine that says Oregon, the grapes were from Oregon. Now within the states, there's also smaller recognized growing regions and Dry Creek Valley is one of them. It's a very small, very concentrated area here in Sonoma County. And the wines that it produces are amazing, obviously. <laughs> I'm uh, really partial to them. And the varietal, the grape type that they are most famous for is Zinfandel. When we see Trevor getting sloshed at the bar, he's drinking a bottle of wine from his winery. He's drinking his old vine Zinfandel. So I didn't pick that varietal by chance. I picked it because Zinfandel is super famous in the Dry Creek Valley. You're gonna find a lot of wineries and a lot of vineyards that produce Zinfandel products, Zinfandel grapes, Zinfandel wine. It's very popular out here in this area. So of course, since we're talking about this scene, I had to drink some Dry Creek Valley Zinfandel, which is what I have today. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about this amazing wine that I'm drinking today. It's uh, from a winery called Raffinelli Winery. This is one of the Colt Zinfandels of the area. It's actually really, really hard to get. I think you can only get their wine in restaurants or if you're a wine club member. And I used to wait tables in the area when I was much younger. And I'll tell you, when we got a couple cases of this, like we could not keep it on the menu. People would just come and they would pay anything for it. And the only reason I have a bottle here today is because my husband's a school teacher. And when you're a school teacher in wine country, you get lots of wine <laughs> from the families and the students. So yeah, we were just, we were super fortunate that a, a very generous family gave us this bottle and he said that I could drink it on the podcast show. So that was super sweet of him. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed learning a little bit about the wine labels and a little bit about the wine region where the Moretti Winery is. And the last thing that I just wanted to touch briefly about in this episode is the bar where they go Zeke's. So I have to tell you the bar is completely made up, but the location is not made up. There is actually an old building that has kind of like a, a deli inside of it where I described. So it's in Dry Creek Valley, surrounded by the vineyards on this two lane road. They used to have a little bar in the back, super small, nothing like I describe in the book. So it's not a real place. So if you come to Sonoma County, you can't go looking for Zeke's because it doesn't really exist. But I, I did put it in that location and I did that on purpose because I, I did want to highlight, you know, being out in the vineyards and that feeling of being in Dry Creek Valley and just like, yeah, surrounded by the atmosphere of all the rows of grapevines and how beautiful they are. So that wraps up today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I did want to take a minute and remind you about this amazing wine that we tried in the first episode, the Dot Wines Rosé. And oh my God, it's so good. I invited my dad over yesterday because I'm like, dad, I opened this bottle and there's only 270 cases made. So come share this delicious wine with me. So he did, he came over yesterday and we had some sausages and shared this wine together. And it's so delicious. And you can get the wine with an autographed copy of the Bad Girl list over at Dot Wines. And it's available for a limited time just for January and February for a Valentine's special. And we're also selling this bottle of wine with the Hello Date Night box. The Hello Date Night box has an autographed copy of the Bad Girl list, a scented rose candle, a bookmark, and a discreet feminine pleasure toy in its own little travel pouch. And again, those are available in super, super limited quantities. So if you're excited about that, 
make sure you head over to Dot Wines to get your box and your wine. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for tuning in. As always, I enjoy showing up to speak with you. And if you have any questions or comments, you can drop them into the comments section on YouTube or feel free to email me at romancingmarie at gmail.com. I will see you next week for the next episode. Have a great day. Bye.